Ephesians chapter 6. Just one over to the left from Colossians. If you're in here today and after a song like that, you don't feel your utter desperation before God, right? Like that's what that song is reminding us. Lord, I need you, right? Oh, I need you. There's a sense in every Christian heart where there's this deep reality where we all know we are utterly desperate for God, right? The world doesn't think that. They don't think they need God, right? And sometimes Christians can slip into that pattern, right? And not get desperate, right? What happens before any major movement of God throughout all of church history, any revival, any great awakening, but a desperation among the people of God to seek him, right? So I'm, my, my prayer, my heart, as we enter in and as we approach the last couple weeks here in our series in Ephesians 6, is that the Lord would cultivate just a deep sense of the reality that we were just singing about in that song. Lord, I need you. And that God would be working that in our hearts and in our minds. Amen? Let's come together before the Lord and ask for his help. Father, we, we come before you and we are needy. Lord, we're a needy people. And we live in a world that is filled with darkness. We live in the midst of a spiritual battleground every day. Lord, we see it in our own wrestlings internally within. We see it in our families. We see it among our friendships. We see it at the workplace. Lord, we see it on the news. We see it, Lord, in the worldview that is really being hurled upon us from every media platform that we could imagine. And, Father, we sense our need for you. Lord, let us not come away from this place today without a deep sense that we need you. Would you visit us now? Would your spirit be working in us now? Even as we consider Ephesians 6, and that you would just make this word come alive in our hearts. And that not only would we experience the need for desperate prayer and seeking after you, but, Lord, that you would cultivate a, a spiritual mindset that has a wartime mentality around our faith. Living for you in this world, sold out for the glory of God. We ask that you would blow upon this time and upon this word in Jesus' name. Amen. So, once again, we're stepping into the world of Ephesians 6. And... When we do so, we're stepping into reality. We're stepping into what the Bible says is really real and is really going on in the world. And so you can't get but past verse 10, right? And Paul is telling you in Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to do what? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Then he says, you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. I mean, that's the opening gun to us. Paul is wanting us to know that the Christian life is not a leisure, leisurely cruise, but it's a spiritual war. The Christian life is not a cruise on a yacht. It's not a picnic. It's a fight. It's not a stroll in the park, but a battle against the forces of darkness. So he's just, he's just 
showing us. He's peeling back the layers, as it were, so we can see reality. Because when we go out our door, we don't always have our eyes open to it. When you wake up, your disposition is not always, I've got to get the armor of God on. I've got, I've got to get on my knees and seek the face of God because I'm living in an evil day, right? Oftentimes, we're shaking off the cobwebs. We're a little bit grumpy. We're struggling with, oh, I'm going to try to get to work. And then work just kind of the day beats you down. Or you go to school and you're like struggling to pay attention to your teacher. We don't live life with a wartime mentality but Paul is, is, is writing this so that we can rid our minds of any picture of the Christian life that is a coasting along with the currents of this world. Instead, he wants us to be pursuing a wartime mentality. And today, right, we are confronted with the reality that we're not to go from escape to escape to distraction to distraction, but to be alert and to be sobered and to know what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in the faith. Right? I'm not making this up. This is Bible talking to you, right? Like, like, help us. Help us see what's going on right now. And that's what Paul's heart is. And in fact, Paul is going to be asking for prayer by the end of this. We're going to get into that next week. But he, he, he senses his need. He senses, if I'm going to preach the gospel and live in this world to any great effect, to any great measure, while I'm sitting in a prison, while I'm shackled to some guard, and I want to make an impact for Jesus, and he could have prayed, get me out of jail. And he says, no, give me boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray for me that I might preach the gospel boldly. So Paul's got a different kind of mindset about how to live our lives, right? And oftentimes we want sort of the heaven now reality. It's like we want to be in the Christian life of vacation, no problems. And sometimes people present the gospel like that. Like, you come to Jesus, all your problems are over, you're going to have no issues, there's going to be no attack, there's going to be no suffering, there's going to be no pain, and that is not the truth. What Paul says right here is we are at war, and we have a real enemy who's a real devil, and he is working to undo us by all sorts of methods and schemes and devices. And he's like pictured like a lion prowling around, seeking somebody to devour. So I was coming across a, a news article this week, and I guess at Disney World, there was, you know, Disney World is like the picture of leisure and go have fun and amusement and, and, and all of that. But in the middle of Disney World, all of a sudden, a black bear wandered into the park, right? And so what did they do? They totally shut down the park, right? The, the, the fun was over because there's a bear <laughs> right there, right? You don't want to be walking by the, the bear to go to, you know, um, Epcot Center or something like that and get mauled by a bear, right? But ultimately, there was something that shifted in the park that went danger present, live a different way, right? And, and just like that, the Christian life is giving us that same sense of urgency. It's sounding the alarm that we are in a war and in a conflict with principalities and powers of darkness. And so you can almost hear Paul saying, watch out, there's a bear in the park, right? Watch out. There's a bear in the park. 
So let's look once again and, and see what Paul has to say as he continues on. He, he, we spent several weeks getting before us the armor of God, and now he's going to talk about how to orient ourselves with a wartime prayer mentality. He's going to show us as we walk through Ephesians 6 that we've got to end on a prayer note. We've got to end with our dependence on God. We've got to end coming to the, thro the throne of grace for boldness and help in a time of need. So let's look to verse 14, and I'm just going to read the armor. And then when we get to 18, we're going to hear his kind of battle cry. And, and, and I want you to hear it like this is a summons to every one of us who name the name of Jesus to be living with a wartime mentality about prayer. So verse 14, Paul says, stand, therefore. He doesn't say run. He says, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that's where we ended last week. And Paul does not break the sentence, but says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert there's a bear in the park right keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to make known or to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which i'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. It's been said that we're never stronger as a church than when we're on our knees before the living God. We're never stronger than when we're on our knees. And perhaps one of the greatest ways to stand, if I can mix the metaphor, is to kneel before the Lord your God, your maker. Right. The greatest way to stand against the enemy is to be a person of prayer. And so I was really wanting to close this series in one one message this week. But there is just so much here in these three verses. There's so much that we need help with. And the Lord was like, no, <laughs> in fact, you're not going to get beyond the first sentence. Right. So we're going to see today that when we consider wartime prayer, that we need to be constant in prayer, we need to have diverse prayers, and we need to have empowered prayer. And you can see it right there in verse 18, right? Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So point number one, we need to be constant in prayer. He says it right there, right? Praying at all times. So Paul is like saying this thing, this prayer thing is like an all time kind of thing. It's, it's for all times. It's for all seasons. It's in all places. It's for when you wake up and when you go to bed. It's for when you're at lunch and it's for when you're in an emergency, in a crisis, and it's for when things are going well and you don't have anything going on. It's for when the devil is lobbing arrows at you. And it's for those times when you just have that sweet presence, like God is with me, right? Oftentimes we get into the presence of God and we get into this sense of assurance and we get into this sense that like we're his child when we commune with him in prayer. And so Paul does not make any mistake when he says that we are to be praying at all times. Prayer is an all times kind of endeavor, right? And you see it all over the New Testament. It's like, do not break connection with your commander in chief. 
The worst thing that can happen in a battle is when soldiers are going all over the place because there's no connection there. There's no direction. There's no uh, connection and guidance. And so Paul is going to say exactly what is the heartbeat of the New Testament church. This is New Testament Christianity. The early church knew what it meant to be praying at all times. In fact, the book of Acts, as the men are, the men are being challenged this month to read the book of Acts, the two things you see kind of as a drumbeat through the book of Acts, which is the expansion of the church from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Jesus commissions the church to take the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts tells us that the church does two things. It prays and gives attention to the ministry of the word. Acts 2.42 is perhaps one of several texts that remind us of this truth. And it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. So you need doctrinal teaching. You need the word of God. You need to be in fellowship. You need to be coming to church regularly. You need to be seeking the face of God. You need to be a person who's breaking bread with your brothers and sisters, right? And then that's a picture of communion, right? Taking the Lord's Supper, reminding yourself of the gospel. And then what? He says out of all of that, he says he ends. And they gave attention. They were devoted to the prayers. They were devoted to praying. And so that's exactly why the Apostle Paul says we need to be praying at all times. He's getting his cues from the New Testament portrait, from what Christ commissioned the church to do. And we listen, we can pray anywhere. You can pray in your bed. You can pray in the car when you have a commute. You can pray when you're in front of the mirror doing your makeup. You can pray in all sorts of ways, right? I just thought about that for a second. It was a little funny. But ultimately, like you're like, I do pray, Pastor, when I do that. <laughs> but ultimately, the reality is we can pray in all sorts of circumstances, in all situations. When the fire truck goes down the street, when the paramedics are headed to a crash site, when you hear those fire engines roar, the people of God begin to pray, right? We pray at all times and in all situations. We pray as parents with that desperate prayer for God to do in our children what only he can do. We pray as children for our parents. We pray as children as we seek the good of our parents, right? That is the picture of New Testament Christianity. And so the apostles saying to us, are you in touch with that? Are you in touch with the vital importance, the absolute necessity of prayer? Or is prayer an afterthought or a footnote in your life? Is it the last thing on your mind? Sometimes, and I've been in the church long enough to know this, sometimes as Christians... We can live as practical atheists for large chunks of our day. Ooh, right? For large chunks of our day, there's no acknowledgement of God, right? That's what I mean by that. If we're not careful, we can slip into a pattern of prayerlessness that just shrivels up our soul. And then we're frenetically trying to do stuff all through our day. Busy, busy, busy. Go, go, go. No prayer. And we're struggling. And we're beating against the block of a schedule. We're beating our heads against the schedule and the to-do list. And it's going nowhere. It's getting harder. And so Paul goes into all of that. He's like, wartime prayer. You're in a battle. The devil wants, if he can't 
keep you out of the word of God, if he can't keep you from coming to church, he's surely going to keep you busy and too busy to pray. But we're too busy not to pray. We're too busy not to pray. And so ultimately, I think Paul lays this out here because he's reminding us, listen, the battle is constant. The devil doesn't go to sleep. The devil's always attacking. Therefore, our prayers should also be constant. And that's why it shows up again and again in the New Testament. In fact, we have examples all through the Bible, right? You've got Daniel in the Old Testament. And Daniel was just faithful. He committed himself, no matter what, that he was going to pray three times. He was going to devote himself to three times every day, opening his windows up, seeing the sunshine come in, and pray to the living God. And so much so, that gets him in trouble. And you better believe... If you got three times throughout the day that you're praying regularly and you're committed to coming to God, that you're going to have all sorts of spontaneous prayer breaking out, right? It's my experience in the Christian life that when you have regular times of prayer, the spontaneity gets heightened, right? Sometimes we can pit, you know, the spontaneity against the planned thing and be like, oh, any good prayer is just spontaneity, right? But no... Daniel prayed three times a day. There's a reason we have a planned prayer, prayer meeting every Wednesday so we can gather as the people of God to seek the face of God. And Daniel's a great example, right? Now, you better believe when he got thrown into the lion's den, he was praying, right? And God shut that lion's mouth. And the lions didn't do nothing all night long. Because Daniel was a man of prayer, and he had great confidence in his God. Jesus, as a man, as the God-man, would spend all night in prayer, and often he would get away to an isolated place to spend time with the Father in prayer. Mark 1.35 tells us about such an occasion. It says, in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. That's right. And there he prayed. So Jesus had an all-time dependency on God. Like, he realized he had to be connected. He did a full days of ministry, right, casting out demons, <clears throat> teaching in the synagogue, having people get healed, or healing people. And after a full day's ministry, he just recharges and then goes out again and says, I must be about the proclamation of the gospel. Well, how does he do it? He does it by being committed to this constant prayer. So my question today is, do we pray? Like when the rubber meets the road, are we a people of prayer, and do we pray regularly? Can the words constant, persistent, dogged, right, be applied to our prayer life? Now, I was super convicted by, by this message this week. I was just, I was hit with it, right, afresh. But what that conviction did in the context of a spiritual battle, in a context of a cosmic war with a real devil, and real darkness all around us was gave me a sense of urgency like what must it look like in, 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 in the church, in any church that wakes up to reality, Ephesians 6 style, what does it look like in the people of God when they begin to get this, this kind of spiritual reality before them? But the aroma of prayer. Is it under any wonder that Jesus said, when he was cleansing the temple, he said, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. But you made it a den of thieves. My father's house shall be called a house of constant prayer. So we, we see this show up a few times, right? First Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, 
pray without ceasing. Romans 12, 12, we're told, be constant in prayer. Or actually, he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. And I was thinking to myself, how am I going to rejoice in hope, and how am I going to be patient in tribulation if I'm constant in prayer? That's exactly how you do those things. How are you going to survive when trials hit you, when things come out of nowhere, when stuff happens and, and, and you're overwhelmed and you never could do it on your own, but you start, you start getting awakened by the trials, right? And you start having that James mentality about your trials. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials, for the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete and equipped, lacking no good thing. It happens when the people of God come before the throne of grace and pray at all times. So I was thinking about this command and the iPhone, right? So the iPhone is this little computer, right? that we have in our pockets and we have a list of people and a list of numbers and a list of addresses and it just takes one click and we're connected with someone, sometimes on the whole other side of the world. Sometimes when Clarissa was gone for three weeks in California, we were just a click away, right? And sometimes we'd just leave that click, we'd leave that button on and we'd just be able to talk to each other. And you leave that connection open, right? The iPhone can be a great distraction, but it can also be a connector. And I was thinking, that's what Paul's after. He's just like, leave the button on. Leave the conversation going vertically. Leave it on. Right? So many things want to keep you from leaving the button on. But one thing is needed, and one thing will keep your prayer life from becoming a drudgery when you desire a deep fellowship and communion with God, when you desire that connection. Man, I, I missed Clarissa those three weeks, right? It was nice to have the iPhone. We're talking about the living God. We're talking about the king of all the earth. And the last thing I'll say on this point is that prayerlessness in the life of a Christian is a sign at the very least that there is spiritual decay going on in your soul. And prayerlessness might be a sign in some cases that you're not even a Christian, right? Listen to the great Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle, who once made this pointed statement, he said, what shall we say to those who never pray at all in the face of such a passage as the one that we're reading here? It may be, he says, that there's a list of baptized people who rise up in the morning without prayer and without prayer lie down at night. Many who never speak one word to God. Are they Christians? It is impossible to say so. A praying master like Jesus can have no prayerless servants. The spirit of adoption will always make a man call upon God. To be prayerless is to be Christless, godless, and on the high road to destruction. And I just thought, what a penetrating warning, right? For the unbeliever who may be very churched but is not a believer, there is no desire for prayer. There is prayerlessness. And what a warning to the believer that prayer is the ultimate expression of your dependence on God. If you depend on God, you will pray because that's what it looks like when we depend on the Lord. So we've got to be constant in prayer. Point number two, 
We've got to have diverse prayers, right? We're going to be praying in all kinds of ways. Do you see it there in verse 18? Sometimes it's, we, we have trouble when we read it really quickly, but it says praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's a way of saying, right, all kinds of prayer. With all kinds of prayer and all kinds of supplication. And all kinds of prayer is like praying Thanksgiving unto God, praising God, confessing sin, praying for other people. That's supplication. Asking God for things you need. Asking God for things other people need, right? There's all sorts of ways that we come to God. 1 Thessalonians 5 reminds us that some of these ways look like rejoicing always. You rejoice always before the throne of God, right? Praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So all of these kinds, sometimes we're on an Easter egg hunt for the will of God, and all of these kinds of praying, the Apostle Paul just said, you want to know the will of God? Thank God. Praise God. Pray continually. It's the life of prayer, the posture of a heart just lifted up to God. That's a person who's in the will of God. Is it any wonder that we have 150 different Psalms smack dab in the middle of our Bibles that tell us what faith looks like and what prayer looks like when your world falls apart? That show us what faith looks like when you've got enemies about your life, attacking you, maligning you. That show us what faith looks like when chronic illness sets in. That show us what faith looks like when the challenge of persecution is before you and you're living in a world that makes Christianity the bad guy. You can be about almost anything in this world, but if you get serious for Jesus and you start preaching the gospel, you're going to be on the wrong side of history very quick. And the Psalms speak to us about these different ways that we approach God in prayer. I thought one thing that would be helpful at this point of the sermon is to share with you the acronym that helps us get at the different kinds of prayer called ACTS. Who's heard of that? ACTS, right? Adoration, confession, right? What's the T? Thanksgiving. What's the S? Supplication, right? Adoration, confession, Thanksgiving, supplication, which is asking God for things. Do you realize, like, that is a wonderful blueprint for you to approach prayer every day, right? Prayer is definitely about adoration. It's about adoring God for who he is and what he's done. In fact, that's the way Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He's like, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or holy is your name. That's reverence for God. Jesus was saying, approach God as your father. And as holy and as good. And when Caleb right, gets up and says, God is good. All the time. We're adoring God when we talk about that, right? We're adoring God. And he's worthy of your adoration. So you begin prayer like that and it'll, it'll reshape your prayer. I was convicted today because so often, so often we just launch into prayer and it's like, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need. And we become like me monsters. And, and listen, God loves when we pray for things we need. But if you just run to him without any adoration, right? Every parent knows what it's like to just be bombarded, right? By what? You need from your children, right? I need this. I need this. I want this. I want this. Me, 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 me. 
And ultimately, it smacks, right, of the world is all about me when prayer is about God. Prayer is about who he is and how he can meet you in those moments, comfort you. It's a relationship. It's not just about his provision. It's definitely that. But it's about adoration. And that's awesome. Adoration keeps us from letting prayer just denigrate into this me monster factory of requests. He's not our butler in heaven. He's our father in heaven. Listen, listen this, is, this is like Old Testament saints telling you how to pray and adore God. Psalm 145 and verse 1. This is David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Whew. Talk about adoration. Do you, you feel that? Like that's the kind of God we're coming to in prayer. But what about confession? Prayer is also about confession. It's about bringing your sin to God. It's about bringing your real brokenness to God. And that's why sometimes we're so afraid of it. We're so afraid of it. And even as professing Christians, it's like, oh, I, 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 that's going to get real, <laughs> right? Sometimes we don't pray because we have all kinds of unconfessed sin that we're not bringing to God regularly. You let that thing pile up, right? How many husbands, if you just let stuff pile up and up and up and you don't make stuff right between you and your wife, that's going to be frosty all day long, right? You guys like that. <laughs> but it's true. It's true with your relationship with God, right? We need confession. Jesus taught it in the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. As we also have forgiven those who have sinned against us. David had two psalms devoted to this idea of repentance and confession of sin. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. I'm just going to give you a little taste of Psalm 32 so that you get the word of God forming and shaping your prayer life, right? This is how we talk to God when we've blown it. Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Confession is just about getting real before God about your sin, your failures. And anybody who wants to get in touch with God has to come through the channel of bringing their sin honestly before God. And David owns it. He, he senses, he experiences the restoration of knowing that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is the same one who was caught in adultery and murdered somebody. But repentance brought about restoration. And listen, if we don't regularly confess our sins, our souls are shriveling up and dying. Listen to David say it earlier in the psalm. This is what his life looked like. Psalm 32, 3, when he didn't confess sin. For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He was just shriveling up in, into desperate struggle. And maybe you're there today. And what's needed is to come before the Lord, your God, in honesty. And bring your sin to him. If we're quiet about our sin before God. There's nothing but rot that is going on inside our soul. So prayer's got to be about adoration. It's got to be about confession. It's also got to be about thanksgiving. 
1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. In how many circumstances? All circumstances. There's all sorts of things that we can thank God for. You can thank God for provision of food today. There's many people in the world who do not have the things we have. Thank God for stuff like fingernails. You can feel stuff. You can scratch stuff. You can scratch those little Snickers and sniff them. And you've got, you know, five senses. And, and there's, there's just things that we just are not in wonder about. Like God gave this to me and I could thank him. Give thanks in all circumstances when times are going good and when God is preserving you in the valley of the shadow of death and he's bringing you through because he's a good shepherd and he promised, I will bring you through to the other side. It's the will of God for us to be a people of thanksgiving. In fact, Paul's like, in Ephesians 5, he's like, you want to know the mark of being full of the Holy Spirit? Right? Sometimes we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's like, it's like this weird language, and it's like, oh, you know, and everybody gets weirded out. But being filled with the Holy Spirit, you want to know what it looks like? Ephesians 5.18. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. That's settling for garbage. But be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And then verse 20 says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you want to know what it looks like to have a soul connected to King Jesus and filled with the Spirit? You're just flooded with gratitude in your prayer life. And you realize the need for thanksgiving and prayer. So we got to have thanksgiving. And then the final thing is supplication, right? This is the one that we all are quite natural at, right? We, 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 it's easy to ask God for things, right? We have many needs. Verse 18 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And supplication is really... Asking for stuff. That's what the word means. You ask for things from the Lord. You approach God as your heavenly father. Right? And I'm reminded of Jesus. How he just says, like, God is a gracious, generous father who loves to give good things to his children. And so, Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, now pay attention to this. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. That's awesome. That's how great God is. He loves to bless you with good things that you need. It's not always going to be what you want, but it's going to be what you need. And he, he's working, right? Romans 8, 28 says, and God, for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, He's called according to his purpose. He's working all things together for good. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of God you approach in prayer. When you start getting a whiff of the character of God, you just, you just want to run into the throne room. Right? You just want to take, take the horns of the altar of prayer and just be like, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. Right? That's wartime prayer mentality. So get your heart around acts. And let it cultivate a vibrant prayer life. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And let me close with this final point about empowered prayer. We're going to do this briefly. But look at it in verse 
18 once again. This is stuff we got to go to the scriptures. What is the Bible saying about wartime prayer? Praying at all times, and then notice this, in the spirit. It's prayer in the spirit. What does it look like to pray in the spirit? Or as Paul points out in Ephesians 2, 18, for through Christ or for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. It's the spirit who gets you connected with the father. It's the spirit who prompts you, who guides you, who empowers prayer, who cultivates a deep prayer life, who calls you to prayer, who convicts you when you're prayerless, who motivates you to call upon God and he'll answer you. One writer said, to pray in the spirit means to seek the spirit's guidance, direction, and help constantly in prayer. You're not meant to do the prayer thing in your own strength right? You can come up with your, your list. You can come up to God stale, or you can come with Bible open with promises on your lips, with the spirit drenched word feeding your soul and cultivating a, a Psalms sort of devotion unto God and your prayer life just begins to blossom and grow. You can come to prayer meetings and learn what it means to, to labor before the throne of grace and to grow into a prayer warrior and watch the, what it means to, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might and watch what it means to put on the, the whole armor of God. And as the hymnist said in the song we sung, put on each piece with what? With prayer. Put on the heavenly armor. Put on each piece with prayer. That's what it means to stand praying all times in the spirit. How do you get the armor if you're not on your knees before the living God? Now, sometimes when I preach on prayer, you know, everybody just assumes that that you either are an amazing prayer warrior and you just got that way, sort of just, it happened, and you didn't have to learn it, right? But I can remember uh, when I was first a Christian and being invited to a prayer meeting. And this is a prayer meeting of about 30 people. And there was this wonderful, spirit-filled, on-fire woman named Suzanne. And she just loved the Lord. And she was the prayer coordinator. And she was just infectious, you know, like she just like the way she prayed made me want to pray more, made me want to learn. Like, I want to learn how to talk to God like that. And I remember two things she said. Number one, come into the prayer meeting wanting to be a part of it. Come into the prayer meeting wanting to be a part of it. Right. Open yourself up to the Lord. Open yourself up before the Lord and 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 and. Be less concerned about what men think and more concerned about what God thinks, right? And then take one step each day you attend a prayer meeting. Take one step and offer up a prayer publicly and watch what the Lord will do a year from now, two years from now, as you consistently do that. Man, your, your, your prayer life will catch fire. That's how I learned to pray is praying with the saints of God, right? Hearing other people who love the Bible, who love God, just start calling out, like asking God for things. And then all of a sudden we see things happening in the prayer meeting. It's like, we just prayed for that. So-and-so experienced a healing touch from God. We just prayed for that and she got saved. We just prayed for that. And the provision financially came. I'm reminded of George Mueller, who was a man of God. He was a, a pastor, but he had a heart for orphans. And he had an orphanage that he would not take, he wouldn't ask for money any time. He would never say publicly, we need money for X. 
he would take all of his requests to God. And the whole purpose of the orphanage was that when you seek God, when you trust in God, when you're praying in the spirit, and when you ask your father for your needs, the Lord will supply. And he said, I want this orphanage to be a word to every atheist and unbeliever in the world that God answers in the requests that we make for prayer and he provides. And so he cared for an orphanage of 10,000 upon 10,000 children just by the commitment to pray. And there would be times when there was no food and all of a sudden the milk truck and the bread truck would break down right in front of the orphanage. We're like, well, this food's going to go to waste. Would you all like to take it? Well, we were just praying for that. And God provides. And countless. You just read his autobiography. And there's countless things like that. Because that's how God works. And when you pray in the spirit. When you're full of the Holy Spirit. When you're constantly praying. When you're bringing all sorts of requests unto God. And, and, and your world begins to be shaped by this wartime mentality about prayer. Man, that's how you begin to see and be a part of the great work of gospel advancement in this world. That's what the book of Acts looks like. That's what any church looks like that comes alive to this thing called prayer. And I just want to invite you to it today. I want to invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good and to approach him in these ways. Let's come before the Lord. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, God, that there's so many reasons to cultivate a vibrant, deep, spirit-filled prayer life. But ultimately, none of us, Lord, can approach you apart from the blood of Jesus. It's by his blood that we draw near. It's by his blood that we can come to the throne of grace with boldness and help in a time and get help in a time of need. It's the way that we approach you. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And so, Father, if there are people here, they're just not connected to you. They've never been connected, perhaps. And they want to come through Jesus today. I pray that you would move on their hearts and that they would acknowledge their sin like David did before you honestly and truly and just cry out even now lord save me i believe you died for my sins and you rose from the dead come into my life and father that you would save them even here this moment as they cry out and for those of us who are just longing to be prayer warriors longing for something different in our life longing for something real and true i pray father that we would be crying out during this next song and just asking you to cultivate the prayer, the prayer warrior within our hearts. And we ask these things in Jesus name. Amen.